Issues Etc. Regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. the Lutheran Public Radio Choir with the hymn, Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness. That line there, healing every dread disease. Well, the dread disease of Jesus' day, of course, was leprosy. Jesus encounters not one or two, but ten lepers. He heals them all. He sends them to the priest. One returns, and usually the story ends up being about the gratitude of that Samaritan leper. Is that all there is to the story? Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Peter Bender joins us to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary in that gospel reading in Luke chapter 17, the story of Jesus healing the ten lepers. Pastor Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Good to be with you, and thank you for that kind introduction. It was so nice of you, and I just thank you for it. <laughs> okay, so it, this coming Sunday, the Luke's account of the healing of the ten lepers, is it primarily about gratitude? Not really, but we certainly gravitate toward that kind of theme. Years ago, when I first entered into the ministry, I used to be... Um, a little bit tired of this gospel reading of the cleansing of the 10 lepers because it was not only for the 14th Sunday after Trinity, but then it was also the gospel reading for the day of national Thanksgiving. So here twice in the fall, we have to deal with this gospel. And I was a naive and ignorant young pastor at the time and over time came to love and appreciate this Sunday because it is not primarily about remembering to say thank you and about being polite. And the reason it's not about those things is because we tend to adopt the posture of the parent who rightfully teaches their children, you know, say please, say thank you. It's the proper polite thing to do. It's proper etiquette. But when we take that posture with this gospel and when we take Thanksgiving into the church in that way, we end up creating a works righteous kind of view. In other words, 
God will bless us if we remember to say please and thank you. And then if we don't say please and thank you, well, he will not bless us. And of course, that's not only a works righteous kind of faith, but it also flies in the face of what happened in this gospel reading for the day, the cleansing of the 10 lepers. All 10 of them were cleansed. Only one returned in thanksgiving, but all 10 were cleansed. So God's blessing for us cannot be based upon whether or not we've remembered to say thank you as if it is our work, but rather it is based entirely upon his universal grace in Christ Jesus. So the thanksgiving of the leper and the thanksgiving that characterizes the Christian faith of the Christian as an individual and of the Christian congregation is fundamentally a confession of faith an overflowing thanksgiving that flows not out of a sense of obligation, but that is spontaneous, that flows forth from someone's heart who has been touched by the love of God in Jesus and cannot help but give thanks. So the thanksgiving of the Samaritan, which is so much a theme for this day, is a confession of faith in the Lord Jesus, who is the fountain and source of all good for him and whom he came to embrace as the Son of God and his Savior and the Savior of all mankind. So the theme for the day is God's universal grace in Christ. Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the source of cleansing from all sin. Jesus is the source of restoration of communion with God. Jesus comes to us in the divine liturgy of preaching and sacraments with the full fountain of eternal blessing for which when our hearts are touched, we respond in faith. And what is characteristic of faith is thanksgiving. So that's what I would say about the theme for the day. And when we explore it that way, then the day can be rooted in the gospel rather than in some sort of works righteous, remembering to say thank you and to be polite. The hymn of the day is Praise the One Who Breaks the Darkness, LSB 849. Praise the one who breaks the darkness with a liberating light. Praise the one who frees the prisoners, turning blindness into sight. Praise the one who preached the gospel, healing every dread disease, calming storms and feeding thousands with the very bread of peace. You see how the hymn directs all attention to Jesus for what Jesus has done. Praise the one who blessed the children, with a strong yet gentle word. Praise the one who drove out demons with the piercing two-edged sword. Praise the one who brings cool water to the desert's burning sand. From this well come living water, quenching thirst in every land. Let us praise the word incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died and rose victorious, that we may know God by grace. Let us sing for joy and gladness, seeing what our God has done. Let us praise the true Redeemer, praise the one who makes us one. And so as that hymn of the day indicates, you know, all Christian theology gives all glory to the Lord Jesus. And when we are recipients of that and receive it by a miracle of contrition and repentant faith, thanksgiving is the natural outgrowth of that. Praise to the Lord is the natural fruit of that work of Jesus in the reception of his word.
So catechism connections then drive us to the word, you know, third commandment, not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred because it is the fountain and source of life. It is how Christ comes to us. The miracle of cleansing in baptism, you know, how can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things. And then under the third article, the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts and kept me in the true faith. So all of these are kind of in the background and uh, theme for this particular Sunday, the 14th Sunday after Trinity. What is the collect for the day? Oh Lord, keep your church with your perpetual mercy. And because of our frailty, we cannot but fall. Keep us ever by your help from all things hurtful and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. So here the collect begins by talking about perpetual mercy. What a lovely phrase. Unending, continuous, ever-flowing mercy. That is what keeps and preserves the Church of Jesus Christ. Then the phrase, because of our frailty, we cannot but fall. What a negative view of the human condition, but absolutely biblical. Apart from Christ, apart from the miracle of contrition and faith, we will fall. So then the petition, keep us from all things hurtful and lead us to all things profitable. And that leading to all things profitable for our life, for our salvation, will connect to the intro for the day. It'll connect to the Old Testament reading from Proverbs for the day. And it will also connect to the epistle for the day when it speaks about being led by the Spirit of God. So how are we led? We are led by the Word of God and by the Gospel of Christ. So keep us from all things hurtful and lead us to all things profitable. And of course, for us as disciples of Jesus, and that's what the Samaritan became as he returned to Jesus in thanksgiving, it is the gospel that leads us on in our earthly pilgrimage until we see our Lord Jesus face to face and sing the eternal praises of heaven that never end. The intro is from Psalm 84. How does it read? And notice how in this psalm, it focuses so much on the presence of the Lord at worship. And so it reads this way, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So the intro describes the beauty of the Lord's house where Jesus is present with his word, with his holy supper, his very body and blood, to comfort, forgive, cleanse, and bestow the gifts that make us beautiful and acceptable to our God. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. And that longing, this fainting to be in the presence of the Lord is that miracle of faith that is brought forth in us 
by the gospel and spirit of God. The antiphon is important to note. Behold our shield, O God. So we're asking the Father to look at our shield. And who is our shield? Well, he is no one less than Jesus himself. So behold Jesus, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. When you look at me, look at your son, Jesus. He is my shield. He is the one whom you have anointed to be my savior. He meets every need. He has atoned for my sin. And where his word is preached and his sacraments are administered and received in faith, there we have eternal and divine protection, cleansing from the leprosy of sin and a restoration of communion with God. So this is why a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. This is what the Samaritan came to believe, and it is what we come to believe when we are touched by the love of God in Christ through this word that cleanses us of sin. And of course, when is the intro it prayed? Right after we hear that cleansing word of the absolution. That leads us to the Alleluia verse that prepares us for that gospel reading in Luke 17. From Psalm 65, verse 1, Alleluia, praise is due to you, O God in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. Alleluia. Praise, it is the fundamental voice of the church, Zion, which gives all glory to Christ, whether such praise is acceptable to the world or politically correct, it matters not. We praise the Lord Jesus. And how do we do that? We don't do that, Todd, simply by saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. We do it by preaching the wonders of his grace, everything that he has done for us, apart from any merit or worthiness on our part. His heart of compassion and mercy that caused him to take up our sicknesses and our infirmities, to take it all upon himself, to go to the cross on our behalf, to die for our sins, and then in his resurrection from the dead to declare us righteous. So the fundamental voice of praise is one in which it proclaims all that Christ has done. Peter talks about this, that we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. So when the verse says, praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed, the performance of our vows rests upon the foundation of this faith in Jesus that we sing about, not upon any strength of our own. And that is really the posture of the Samaritan who returns to Jesus and gives him thanks. He recognizes all honor, all glory is due now to my Jesus, who has become my Savior by what he has done for you. That's the faith and the praise of every individual Christian, and it is also the praise of the entire church. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll get into that gospel reading in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19, the cleansing of the ten lepers, next. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. 
This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about the Messianic message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. Pumpkin spice-flavored everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crucem's mugs, featuring your favorite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humor. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. St. Paul is the patron saint of the run-on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practiced here. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. We're Mount Calvary Lutheran Church of the Missouri Synod, located in Brady, the heart of Texas, the closest city to the center of our great state. We're a confessional, traditional, liturgical, sacramental, faithful congregation. We welcome you to Sunday school, Bible study, and divine service with every Sunday communion. You'll find us on the west side of town on Highway 87, next to the Brady Civic Center Golf Course and Cemetery. Mount Calvary Lutheran Church, Brady, Texas, where Christ is at the heart. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, opened its 178th academic year yesterday. Concordia Theological Seminary, form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Find out about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We come now then to that gospel reading in Luke chapter 17. How would you take us through it? Well, we'll have to talk about Samaritans, and we'll have to talk about Jews, and we'll have to talk about temple worship, and we'll have to talk about leprosy, and we'll have to talk about priests and their responsibilities. Here's how the reading goes. Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the gospel of the Lord. Jesus 
does the unexpected, as he so often does. They cry out to him for mercy. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And what does he do? Go show yourselves to the priests. What does that have to do with their petition, with their request? But as they are going, they're cleansed. So clearly it's not the priests that give them cleansing. It is Jesus who gives them cleansing. Why does he send them to the priests? More about that in a moment. At the end of the reading, when the Samaritan returns, he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That's how it's translated in the ESV. But literally it is, Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. What does that mean? Is his faith a work that saved him? No. The object of his faith, Christ, has saved you. So when Jesus says at the end, Rise and go your way. Your faith has saved you. It is as if he were saying, rise and go your way, your Jesus has saved you. And we know that Jesus is this Samaritan's savior because he returned to Jesus and fell down before him and worshipped him. All right, let's go back to the beginning. Leprosy was a horrible disease, a disease of the skin that resulted in lepers being considered unclean. And this uncleanness meant that they were separated from the worshiping congregation. They could not be readmitted until they had been healed of the leprosy and offered the required sacrifices for their purification. Now, I think it's really important to keep underscoring when we encounter these miracles of Jesus and we preach on them throughout the year, each malady that we encounter, whether it's blindness or deafness, the deaf mute we had here recently, now in this gospel, leprosy, those maladies are, if you will, illustrations of the greater problem. In other words, this colony of lepers, their greatest problem was not the disease of leprosy. Just like we would say, if someone has cancer, that's really not their biggest problem. They may die of the cancer, but their biggest problem is the problem of sin out of which all disease flows, including cancer or, in this case, leprosy. And the fact that the Old Testament calls leprosy a state of being unclean underscores that disease is really about the infection of sin. And disease and the infection of sin were closely aligned in the Old Testament. And this taught the corruption of original sin, what the Lutheran confessions call a concupiscence, the disease of spiritual corruption. And that is common to us all. So it's not as if, boy, I thank God I'm not a leper. But according to our sinful nature, we are all leprous and unable to save ourselves, as the collect for the day indicates. So this disease or this infection is what separates us from God. It's the condition of being unclean. And so the cry of the lepers, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, indicates that this colony of lepers, regardless of their ethnicity, shared one thing in common. They needed cleansing. They needed salvation. Their malady drew them together in a common need, but it also separated them from God and it separated them from the worshiping congregation. Clearly, they, like so many others who came to Jesus and cried out to him for mercy, clearly they had heard or they had encountered Jesus in some way 
to recognize him as a prophet of mercy and compassion for the sick, for the downtrodden, for the outcast of society. Maybe it was nothing more than the rumor mill about Jesus, where people were talking and it was spreading like wildfire, the kinds of things he was saying and the kinds of things that he was doing. And it was evident to so many, he preached with authority and not as the scribes and the Pharisees. So clearly they had encountered Jesus before in some sense, and they cry out to him for mercy. Now, going back to the Old Testament, this curious thing, you know, go show yourselves to the priests. Leviticus 13.49 says that if the disease shows greenish or reddish in the garment, whether in warp or woof or in skin or in anything made of skin, it is a leprous disease and shall be shown to the priest. And it rendered the person unclean, unable to worship in the congregation of Israel. The priest was then required to assess whether the skin disease had cleared up before the leper could be readmitted to society and to the worship of the temple. That's Leviticus 13. Leviticus 14 contained the liturgy and the offerings required of the leper for his cleansing and then readmission. So this is significant because in the case of the Samaritans, they rejected worship at Jerusalem at the temple there, and they rejected the ministry of the Levitical priests. After the Babylonian captivity, Babylonian and Assyrian people were settled in Samaria, which is north of Judea and south of Galilee, so that the Israelite population of that region who had already rejected temple worship from the days of Jeroboam I when the United Kingdom divided and the north became known as Israel. They rejected temple worship, and Jeroboam insisted they not go down to worship. He set up other places for worship. Well, after the Babylonian captivity and the Assyrian captivities, the people of those empires were settled in that region known as Samaria. And they would intermarry with the population, the Israelite population from the old north and dilute that population, so to speak, so that they would be less tempted to return in loyalty to Jerusalem and the broader population of the Jews. This helps explain the disdain that Jews had for the Samaritans. I mean, they considered them half-breed. They had Jewish ancestry and Jewish blood but they were also from those populations that had been settled there in Samaria for the express purpose of diluting that population. So they rejected the Samaritans and they hated the Samaritans even more so than the Jews would despise a Gentile. So this is significant in the gospel narrative because Jesus says, go show yourself to the priests. And there's at least one Samaritan perhaps more in that colony of lepers. So by sending these lepers to show themselves to the priest, Jesus is doing a number of things. Number one, healing of the disease of leprosy by Jesus would indicate to the lepers and to the priests in Jerusalem that Messiah had come in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. Leprosy was not a disease that people just simply got over on their own. 
So the fact that lepers are being cleansed and they're being cleansed in large numbers was an indication Messiah had come. The kingdom of God had broken in. Number two, by Jesus sending them to the priests, he affirmed all the words of the Torah, the books of Moses, and the primacy of the temple as the location of God's saving presence. All that liturgy, all of those sacrifices which were outlined in Leviticus, in Exodus, in Deuteronomy, were affirmed by Jesus saying, go show yourselves to the priests. Now we know that that liturgy and all of those sacrifices and the cleansing offered there ultimately pointed to Jesus. And that leads to number three. Jesus is the source of salvation to which both Jews and Samaritans were longing. And Jesus wants them to understand that this salvation is not for the Jews only, but for the Samaritans and for all people. So it is both a mystery and a miracle of God's grace in Christ that the Samaritan, perhaps the most outcast of them all, not only because of his disease, but because of his pedigree as a Samaritan, comes to faith in Jesus. And that's what his giving of thanks indicates, that he has come to faith in Jesus. Jesus is the object of your faith. As we mentioned a moment ago, go your way, your Jesus has saved you. Your faith has saved you because the object of faith was Christ. And clearly, the object of the Samaritan's faith is Jesus. So he returns to Jesus. His act of giving thanks to Jesus is much more than a polite gesture. It is a confession of faith in Jesus as his Savior and Lord. It is also a confession that God's word in the Old Testament scriptures of the Jews is true. I was wrong as a Samaritan. What I believed that the temple worship and the liturgy there meant nothing means everything, but it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So finally, this Samaritan is expressing the belief that the gift of Jesus is actually greater even than his physical cleansing. And I think we can miss that in any of the miracles of Jesus. We should not think of Jesus' healing miracles as believe in Jesus and then if you're blind, you'll be able to see. Believe in Jesus and then if you're crippled, you'll be able to walk. Or believe in Jesus if you were sick with leprosy, then you'll be cleansed. But rather, these miracles testify to the greater gift of salvation in Jesus. So even if I'm sick, even if I die, I've lost nothing because I have Christ. So I would argue that he is expressing the belief that the gift of Jesus is greater even than his physical cleansing. His cleansing from leprosy is but a testimony that this Jesus, whom he now worships and confesses, is the source of eternal cleansing, life, and salvation with God. And even if some other calamity might befall him at a later time, he had Jesus as his Savior. So Jesus meant more to him now than any blessing he might otherwise enjoy from Christ. So Jesus' closing, we're not ten cleansed, but where are the nine, is then a testimony to his universal grace and salvation for all people, even those who reject him. What do I mean by that? If salvation were based on whether or not a person would believe before Jesus acted, then only this Samaritan would have been cleansed. 
that's what they call intuitu fide in the old dogmaticians, you know, that he saves in view of the faith that was to come. But oh no, here he cleanses all ten. So it is very much a sign of universal grace. Even though only one returned to him in faith and thanksgiving, he cleansed all ten. And that's a wonderful testimony to God's universal grace in Christ. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. The Old Testament reading in Proverbs 4 is ahead. The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Sanctifying your commute with the Word of God. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is it hard? Yes. Will it challenge you? Absolutely. Is it a blessing from God for you and those you will serve without question? Dr. Lawrence Rast, President of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. The pastoral ministry is all of these things, and that's why Concordia Theological Seminary exists to form servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Men from all over the world with a variety of unique backgrounds come to our campus to receive faithful training that will equip them for the challenging but blessed work of serving as pastors in Christ's church. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Christ-Centered Worship, Confessional Theology, Lutheran Community, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. 
Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Getting ready to go into the Old Testament reading for Proverbs. And speaking of the Old Testament, Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September is called The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. It is a practical guide on not only how to read the particular books of the Old Testament, but how to read the Old Testament in general, as Jesus tells us, looking for him in those predictions, patterns, and in his Old Testament presence. Find out more about the Messianic Message at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. Ask for the Messianic Message, the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September. Pastor Bender, the Old Testament reading, Proverbs 4, verses 10 through 23, how does it fit in? Remember, Proverbs is written by Solomon. Solomon's name means peace. He is the prince of peace in the Old Testament, son of David. But hear these words coming from Jesus, the greater prince of peace. Hear my son and accept my words, that the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on to it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. This is the word of the Lord. Now, of course, this section from Proverbs chapter 4 is the word of a father to his son. And when he says such things as, keep hold of instruction, do not let go, guard her, for she is your life, that's what we as sons come to believe from our faithful father whose wisdom has been imparted to us. And what does that faithful father's word and wisdom do? It creates a love for the father, a devotion to the father, a faith, if you will, a trust in the father that overflows with gratitude and praise to him. That's how it works with the father and the son relationship. So as I said at the outset, the words of King Solomon are more than the counsel and advice of a father to his son, to simply follow ethical and moral teachings of the father. But rather the words of King Solomon are the words of the greater Solomon, the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus himself. They are the words of God, the words of the gospel, the words of the mystery of God's love and mercy in Christ, 
the words that justify us, the words that declare us righteous, the words that create and sustain faith, the words that lead us in faith throughout our earthly pilgrimage, the words that cleanse us, the words that bring healing, the words that bring refreshment and fellowship with God, the words that separate us from the destructive path of the wicked and set our life in the direction that looks to Christ, that longs for him, and that lives from his word. He is our spiritual father, the greater prince of peace. So with Peter, we say, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I just think it's important to see this counsel from Proverbs 4 in light of the testimony of the gospel, which is articulated in the holy gospel for the day, the cleansing of the ten lepers, and which is how we are led by the Spirit in the epistle for the day. Take us into the gradual from Psalm 92 and the Psalm from Psalm 119. The gradual, short, Psalm 92, 1 and 2. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Gradual coming between the Old Testament, Proverbs 4, and then the epistle, Galatians 5. Just a couple of points on the gradual. The thanksgiving of the gradual as we've been saying all along concerning thanksgiving, is a confession of faith in Christ because of his mercy. We declare or confess his steadfast love in the morning when we say our prayers, when we confess the creed, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, and his faithfulness by night when we confess our sin and we pray, let your holy angel be with us that the evil foe may have no power over us. The Lord is the object of this faith, and therefore the comfort of our souls. So it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness by night. If the gradual is not used, but the psalm is used, it's Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16, and that's that great acrostic psalm that meditates upon the word of God which is how Christ comes to us. It is how the Spirit leads us. The antiphon is verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. So if I pause in the psalm, you see how it connects to the Old Testament reading from Proverbs that had the word of counsel and love from the father to his son, now, the response of the son to the father, if you will, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the testimonies of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. So you can see the overflowing affection, devotion, and love that the Son has, according to this psalm, in his Father's word. Or, 
shall we say it this way, that the Christian has in his Savior's word. So the portion of Psalm 119 is a response of a son who has received the word of God from the Prince of Peace in the Old Testament reading. And it is marked as all good prayers and confessions of faith are by a speaking back to God all that he has given and spoken to us in his word. So he speaks, we receive that in repentant hearts, and then it becomes the subject matter and the basis of our thanksgiving and praise or our confession of faith to him. And you can tell the delight in it. You go back to the verse of the week, praise is due to you, O God in Zion, to you shall our vows be performed. The confession of the wonders of God's grace in Christ. And we have the same thing in the intro for the day, the gradual for the day, and here the psalm for the day. So that cleansing comes by the word of our Lord. And it is a theme in the Old Testament. It is how we also walk by the Spirit in the epistle reading. And it is the source of that cleansing from leprosy that we have in the gospel reading. So that psalm really does a nice job of tying all three readings together. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, and we'll be in the epistle from Galatians 5, beginning at verse 16, next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone, apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod's life ministry is thousands of people sharing Christ's love and mercy and giving witness to our Lord's creation of life, His design for marriage and the family, and the God-given value of all human life from conception to natural death. Working with many partners, LCMS Life Ministries sponsors human care efforts that meet the needs of body and soul and provides resources and educational events for all ages. To learn more, email lifeministry at lcms.org and visit lcms.org slash life. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713-855-2681. 
Pastor Peter Bender is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. He is director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Peter, the epistle reading for this coming Sunday, Galatians 5, 16 through 24. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. Now what Paul does here, we're getting towards the end of the book of Galatians. It's six chapters in all, but here we're in chapter five, is he presents to the Christian, to the baptized, the ever-present reality of the struggle from within. There's the old nature, the corrupt, sinful flesh. And then there's the new man, the spiritual nature created by the Spirit of God, the man of faith. And these are opposed to each other, as he says, to keep you from doing the things that you want. You know, the Spirit lusts against the flesh and the flesh against the Spirit. These are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Which means that it's a real battle, isn't it? It's a real struggle that we have. Fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against those things because they are the fruit born of the ministry of the Spirit through the gospel. The works of the flesh, these are the things that we, according to our sinful nature, take credit for. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, and sorcery, and so forth. Those are the works of the flesh. And the law speaks against all of these. It condemns them. It judges us. And to continue in the ways of the flesh result in our destruction. That's why he says, no one will inherit the kingdom of God who continues to do and to walk into such things. Not that we don't have the struggle ever present. We do. And we confess and we cry out to God for help and mercy and so forth. So to summarize... He begins by saying, walk by the Spirit. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do we walk by the Spirit? By faith in Christ's word. To walk by the Spirit is a description of the life of faith in Christ. A life that is created by the word of God and a life that is sustained by the word of God. So walking, that's a language of discipleship, isn't it? To believe, to trust, to rely, to depend, to love Jesus. How does that come about? But by the Spirit's ministry of the Word to us. So he enjoins us, as he enjoined the Galatian Christians, to continue in the Word of their Savior, 
This is how we walk by the Spirit. Works of the flesh describe the nature of our leprous flesh, the old Adam, and we're called to crucify it in confession and absolution, in praying the Lord's Prayer daily. Fruit highlights the Spirit and His work, what He produces. Works of the flesh are what we can take credit for, and therefore they become the subject matter of our confession. The struggle with sin is real. It manifests itself in this earthly sojourn of every Christian. It's real warfare. But like the Samaritan, we return to Jesus. We fall down before him, not simply to say thanks, but to cry out to him for mercy, what the collect for the day said, the perpetual mercy that leads us in the right way, that frees us from our sins, that cleanses us. So only the Holy Spirit, through the word of God, can do this cleansing from the leprosy of sin. And only the Holy Spirit, through the word of the gospel, can preserve us in the battle in perpetual safety until that day in which we're called from this veil of tears to eternal joys with Christ. How would you summarize this coming Sunday's propers in terms of law and gospel? The law must address itself to the leprous, corrupt nature that infects us all and that separates us from communion with God. In Bible times, leprosy was rarely cured. I mean, we can think of the miracle of cleansing for Naaman the leper in 2 Kings chapter 5. His pride, his arrogance had to be crucified. First, a servant girl says, if only my master were with the prophet in Samaria, he would heal him of his leprosy. And that prophet was Elisha. And he goes there with all of his retinue of money and silver and gold in an attempt to buy his salvation, to buy his cleansing. And Elisha won't give him the time of day on the basis of his wealth or his works. Wash in the Jordan and you will be cleansed. So the leprous corrupt nature infects us all. It is self-righteous. It is proud. It is arrogant. It separates us from communion with God. The law must address itself to that pitiful condition from which only Christ can deliver us. Number two, the law must address the belief that our thanksgiving or our acts of religious worship are not that which causes God to be merciful to us, but rather that which flow from his mercy. That leads us into the unique gospel for the day. Number one, Jesus' grace and mercy is for all people, whether they believe in him or not, which doesn't mean that all are saved. But it is a testimony to God's grace that Christ Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, that the gospel is to be preached to the whole world. Jesus' grace and mercy is for all people. All ten were cleansed, even though only one returned to him in repentant faith and thanksgiving. Number two, Jesus cleanses us from sin by his life-giving, forgiving word that is preached that is in the absolution, that is in our baptism. It is a real cleansing that restores fellowship with God. And finally, number three, Jesus is truly present through the divine word and sacraments in the liturgy. And it is why we could end where we began with the intro it. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. 
blessed are those who dwell in your house. Because Jesus is there, and he bestows his favor and his honor upon us, and no good thing does he withhold from those who walk by faith in him and not in themselves. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll get an update on Concordia University, Texas' attempt to reject the governance and oversight of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate. Our guest will be attorney Tom Alverson. We'll also discuss the vocation of police officer with former police officer, Pastor Paul Norris. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.